and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The lights flickered out and in a thunderous roar, everything on the super ship seemed to break loose. Beds and boilers lurched as the black hole of the RMS Titanic tilted perpendicularly. Its three great propellers reared against the heavens. And then it was gone, and 1,522 souls with it. It's been said that the three most written-about subjects of all time are Jesus, the Civil War, and the Titanic. And it appears that Titanic fever has come again upon America and around the world from 1996 forward. It was a night to remember for those on board, but a night to remember for the world as well. But why? What does the Titanic say to us? If anything, Newsweek said it is a biblical warning to those who would dare challenge the Almighty. Does it carry a message like that that we can relate to today? For ourselves individually? For our families? Maybe even for our country? Today, we want to focus on the Titanic deception. It's a tale of haunting deception that hovers over history's most remembered disaster, and I believe that it has tremendous import for us today, right here on this program. If only. There are so many if-onlys related to the Titanic. If only I had not gotten it on, on the boat. If only the one who was supposed to be the lookout and have the key to the binoculars, if only he would not have been dismissed so that they would have had the key for the binoculars that could have seen the iceberg ahead. So many things, friends, if-onlys. Do you have any if-onlys in your life? I'll bet you do. And today, as we listen and approach this tale, this troubled tale of Titanic deception, I trust that you will have an open mind and an open heart. But before we get into the depths of it, let's get a bit of the passion of it right from one of the ancient, well, old-time movies. Here we go. The touch of haze on the horizon. There's ice ahead. Yes, what do you see? Ice! Dead ahead! A berg less than a mile away! Thank you, though. Iceberg right ahead. Harder starboard, Mr. Hitchens. Harder starboard. Helm is hard over, sir. Full speed astern! Turn. 
taking her so long. Turn! We've got to win the bloody case. Turn! Closing the watertight doors. Note the time and enter it into the log. Captain on the bridge. We've struck something, Mr. Murdoch. An iceberg, sir. I had a starboard and ran the engines full astern, but it was too close. I'm afraid she's hit it. Dearest God. I closed the watertight doors, rung the warning bell. Sir, do you hear me? Impossible. This cannot have happened. Dearest God. Impossible. But what seemed to be impossible was actually very possible. And the unthinkable happened to the unsinkable. And it all could have been avoided. All of it. Titanic deception. Here on Viewpoint today, the Titanic went down on the 14th of April, 2000, uh, 1912, it left port on April 10th on its first and last journey. Do you see anything in this particular tale, in this particular account, in what you have just heard? Is there anything that you can relate to as it might shed light on our own country? Maybe on the church. Maybe on your family. Again, we say regularly here on this program, viewpoint determines destiny. And it is absolutely true. Viewpoint always determines destiny. And it wasn't until the ship was going down that the band began to play nearer, my God, to thee. What would have happened if actually all on board long before they ever got on the Titanic, 
have been playing that in their own hearts and minds, nearer my God to thee. And how about you? Is that a song, is that a message that reverberates in your own mind and heart amid America's trials and troubles? As those who think our country is unsinkable are beginning to think that perhaps the unthinkable could happen to the unsinkable. Where are the pastors calling for nearer my God to thee? Where are the the fathers and the grandfathers calling their families together, saying, nearer my God to thee, before the inevitable happens to the unsinkable? We'll talk more about that when we get back, friends. Stay tuned. You're listening to Viewpoint. Why was there no sense of urgency when the Titanic first struck the iceberg? We'll see why. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're taking a look at Titanic deception, messages, understanding, heart-gripping understanding that we can gather from the event that took place in 1912, from April 10th to April 14th. Well, the lights did flicker out, and in a thunderous roar, everything on the super ship seemed to break loose. Beds and boilers lurched as the black hole of the RMS Titanic tilted perpendicular, its three great propellers rearing up against the heavens, and then it was gone. And 1,522 souls with it. There had been no sense of urgency when the Titanic first struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic at about 11.40 p.m. on April 14, 1912, when Edith Brown Heisman last saw her daddy, he was standing on the deck, smoking a cigar and smiling at his wife and daughter, saying, I'll see you in New York. He sounded confident as his family was bundled into lifeboat number 14. And everyone kept saying she's unsinkable, recalled Heisman. But the unthinkable happened to the unsinkable. Emerging from the depths of the sea and lifeboat survivors is a tale of haunting deception hovering over history's most remembered disaster. Walter Lord called it a night to remember. I have his book in my hand here, the classic account of the final hours of the Titanic. It came out in 1955 as a bestseller. But the Titanic was by no means the largest disaster in modern history. and In fact, unlike the Lusitania and the Hindenburg, it had virtually no political import. Yet it remains the only disaster that people generally care about. So interesting that China itself recently built a full-sized replica of the Titanic. China. 
What is there about the Titanic story that keeps us coming back to it? What's the significance of this story? You can have a real story without risks, but the best stories, it seems, are those that ask the riskiest questions about good and bad. And when we try to answer them, we recover our sense of dignity of human life, and that's why we keep coming back to the Titanic story, because it makes us think about the things that matter. Said Stephen Cox, author of the Titanic story. It's little wonder then that historian Stephen Beale, in his reminiscing cultural history of the disaster called Down with the Old Canoe, speculated that the three most written about subjects of all time may be Jesus, the Civil War, and the Titanic. In fact, I have surrounding me here at the broadcast desk at least five or six such books. At least. Buried 12,000 feet beneath the sea in total darkness. Gone from a world it momentarily defined. The Titanic refuses to die. It's a morality play, said the liberal news magazine Newsweek. A biblical warning to those who would dare to challenge the Almighty. Well, that should tell us that the message of the Titanic has a profound implication for America. One of the youngest nations out there in the earth, supposedly the most powerful in history, but then the Titanic was the largest boat ever to float in history. In fact, it was said to be the largest moving device ever created by man up to that point. So, in a sense, we're all on the Titanic together. It remains a night to forget for those who are on board, but a night to remember for the rest of us. And it's an irresistible tale of tragedy and even truth. 17 movies, 18 documentaries, and at least 130 books have been attempted to reveal the moral and spiritual mysteries that were played out in that drama of deception, played out before the world on the decks of the unsinkable Titanic. It's a moment in time that encapsulates what life is all about. The Titanic wasn't annihilated in an instant. It took two hours and 40 minutes to sink, during which people, rich and poor, young and old, had to make choices. And it's interesting that the newspaper reports and magazine articles and books published shortly after the Titanic sinking referred to, quote, eternal truths, unquote. Yet most of those were secular publications. Bob Garner, who was a senior producer for Focus on the Family a while back, had been working associate of Dr. Robert Ballard, who first discovered the remains of the great ship in 1985, resting two miles down on the ocean floor in the pitch blackness of the North Atlantic. There are pivotal points in our lives, he said, when we're brought face-to-face -face with the things in life that matter most. And those junctures are choices that must be made, choices that inevitably determine the course of destiny. 
Deception often delivers us to the brink of destiny. And as James Cameron, the director of the Extravaganza Film Production 1996, said, the Titanic is a metaphor for life. We're all on the Titanic, in a sense. I agree. If we look at it appropriately, it is a parable. It is a parable for life for this moment in time, for this entire era. And it was said to be unsinkable. Just as people think about our country. It's amazing. Some of the most revered broadcasters, talk show hosts, and so on, of this last generation, have had the attitude that notwithstanding America's difficulties, we're unsinkable. How many times have I heard one talk show host say, well, America will always be here? Really? On what authority do you have that word? On what authority do you have that word? Do I love my country? Absolutely, I love my country. I probably have more patriotic ties than anybody in the country. Oh, I love the Stars and Stripes. I was born on Flag Day. I used to sing when I was 10 years old, This is my country to have and to hold. I pledge you my allegiance, America the bold, for this is my country to have and to hold. But you know, the my country that I talked about then is not the my country that I see today. Have we hit an iceberg? Are we about to hit one? Are we in a severe danger zone of multiple icebergs? Are we so absolutely secure in our conviction that America is the ultimate destiny, heaven on earth, that we need not be concerned about anything related to our country, how we, the people, behave, how we live? For after all, we're unsinkable. But what if that is not true? The Titanic was large enough even by today's standards. It was the grandest of the grand, representing all the power, the wealth, the luxury, and arrogance of its age. In fact, the Titanic was built at the height of the Industrial Age. It was a time when technology ruled as a god. She was promoted as unthinkable with her 16 watertight compartments. Several passengers wrote in their diaries that they overheard people claim even God couldn't sink this ship. Yet the unthinkable happened to the unsinkable. One deception seemed to lead to another. Pass, uh, passengers boarded and they were brashly confident in their safety. In fact, the ill-fated Captain Edward J. Smith was so boldly confident that he cranked up the speed to set a new transatlantic speed record even as the vessel approached the well-known North Atlantic ice fields. 
and then no safety drills have been conducted. The wireless operators ignored or made light of repeated warnings of icebergs ahead. Even the captains seemed complacent like pastors today. Since 1993, when the Lord called me to lead the practice of law and to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour, here on the near edge of the second coming, I have seen the most amazing pride and resistance by spiritual leaders from coast to coast in this country, mocking even the idea that our country could be in danger or even that the church might be out of whack with regard to the God who made and preserved us a nation. The sheer arrogance of it all has been amazing. For 28 years, we have been wooing and warning and wooing and warning and wooing and warning the church in America, pastors, parachurch leaders, professing Christians, and then, by implication, the rest of the nation, including politicians. No ear to hear. No eyes to see. No wills to understand, because after all, we're unsinkable. The wireless operators ignored or made light of repeated warnings of icebergs ahead, and even the captain seemed to be complacent. At about 11 p.m., when the ship's crew spotted iceberg ahead, frantic orders were given to turn the massive liner. And I don't, I don't think there are any more dramatic or spine-tingling lines in the history of cinema than those of the Titanic captain in an earlier film that we listened to. When the news of an iceberg dead ahead, he cries out pleadingly to his ship, Turn! 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 And then, when told... I think we've hit it, sir. I think we've hit it. He responds, Dearest God, impossible. Yet the deception even continued after that. Even though a 300-foot slice, a little over a quarter inch wide, was scraped by the ice through the hull, nothing was detectable by anyone on board, but the unsinkable ship had been mortally wounded. Question. Has America been mortally wounded? Don't answer too quickly. When you have one of the two major political parties having openly, notoriously, sarcastically, egregiously shaken their fist against the God who made and preserved us a nation and said, we'll have none of you. When a leading congressman, head of Judicial Committee for the Democratic Party, declared, this Congress has no concern about what some God 
might have to say. You don't think we've been mortally wounded, friend? Are you sure? Still, nothing was detected by the passengers on board, even as the so-called watertight compartments filled with water. Few on board had any clue what was really happening. Many even joked when ordered to begin boarding lifeboats. But it wasn't until the unsinkable began listing and tilting did passengers realize they were in trouble. I want to take a look at what that trouble seemed like to Eva Hart, a seven-year-old who was on board. And what would have happened if the key to the compartment holding the binoculars had been made available? You'll be shocked. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Before the Titanic voyage set out, Mrs. Albert Caldwell watched a group of deckhands carrying luggage luggage aboard the Titanic. So she stopped one of the men and asked him, Is this ship really unsinkable? Yes, lady, he replied. God himself couldn't sink this ship. God himself couldn't sink this ship. That's kind of what Israel thought before they were taken for 70 years to Babylon. That's kind of what Israel thought before the Romans came in in 70 AD and completely leveled the temple so that not one stone was left upon another and the people would disperse throughout the nations of the earth for 2,000 years. That's what they thought. Well, Eva Hart was seven years old when her mother put her on a lifeboat as her father was left behind. She said it was dreadful. She could hear the screams echoing across the freezing waters as the huge ship rose and then suddenly slipped below and all was darkness. She said it was absolutely dreadful. That's what it's going to be like when the consequences of creeping spiritual deception become manifested in our lives as we approach the end of the age. Pomp and pride and power, perks and position, keep our spirits falsely afloat, while this great supposedly unsinkable ship of earth takes on water, ready to plunge into the abyss where time and eternity meet. 
and the overwhelming majority will be deceived. The Bible tells us so. The Apostle Paul even says that massive numbers of Christians will not make it. Jesus said the same thing. Since straight is the gate and narrow is the way and precious few, there will be that find it. Not everybody who says it to be Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom, but he that does the will of my Father. The overwhelming majority will be deceived. Their destiny will be determined. Their mournful cries will be deafening, just like those that tried to get on the ark. After the door was shut by God, and the waters began to rise. The unthinkable will happen to the unsinkable, and it will be dreadful, absolutely dreadful. Yet there's a key. We want to talk about that key for a moment. How much do you think a key is worth? What would you say the most expensive key in the world would be worth? Well, this key looked for all the world like an ordinary key. It was just an unremarkable piece of metal. It could have saved the Titanic from disaster. Those were the opening words in a heart-rending report of remorse in the Telegraph online paper published in the UK on August 30th, 2007. But catastrophically for the Titanic and her 1,522 passengers that lost their lives, the key's owner, Second Officer David Blair, was removed from the crew at the last minute. And in his haste, he forgot to hand the key to his replacement. Now, the key was thought to have fitted the locker that contained the crow's nest binoculars that were necessary to detecting lurking threats to the liner in pre-sonar days. So without the glasses, lookouts in the crow's nest had to reply on their own eyes, which were unable to perceive the disaster lying ahead timely. Fred Fleet was a survivor. He was called by Congress to testify. When asked by the chairing U.S. Senator how much sooner the binoculars would have made the looming iceberg visible, he responded, enough to get out of the way. Well, now so many years later, over a hundred years later, the key and its significance has truly come to light. And it was put up for auction. The auctioneer, Alan Aldridge, said, We think this key is one of the most important artifacts from the Titanic to come to light. Because it had the, the potential to save the Titanic. So how much do you think the key went for? Well, it was estimated that it would go for upwards of 70,000 pounds. I think that would be somewhere around $80,000. But it brought 90,000 pounds, probably over $100,000. One little key. For want of a key, the Titanic sank. 
for lack of a seemingly insignificant piece of metal, the world's greatest luxury liner and most of those who trusted in her safety met their demise. Dreadful, huh? The unthinkable happened to the unsinkable. And that's what it'll be like as the great ship of this world or of this country plunges at breakneck speed, setting new global and economic records into the freezing and darkening waters of end-time deception. For most, it's not what we know, but what we don't know that's going to define a destiny of destruction, both temporally and eternally. Yet it seems we plunge proudly ahead, thinking we're unsinkable, and that's true for both professing believers and unbelievers. Both went down with the Titanic, for lack of a key. So that, that key actually was not seen as truly significant until after the disaster. Yet it was this seemingly insignificant key that would have provided the clarity of vision and depth of understanding to avoid the deceptively dangerous iceberg that lay ahead. Now, by analogy, what would that key, might, what might that key be today? For your family? For you? For our country? And for the world? What might that seemingly insignificant key be today? I believe that at this remarkable an unprecedented moment in human history, the greatest and most significant key to avoid personal and collective shipwreck is ignored or deemed relatively insignificant even among professing Christians. And it's the Bible. The very inspired word of God that has become either disregarded or disdained Yet it alone, insignificant as it may seem in light of my man's titanic achievements, it provides the key to life, revealing the dangers lurking not only in the swirling waters around us, but in the dark and turbulent waters ahead, and they are dark. Have you noticed? And we're on a collision course with destiny. We are. Destruction for most lies ahead. Our vision is clouded. Our perspective is limited to our personal or collective earthbound thoughts. Yet our, our creator, the Lord of history, knows what lies ahead. And the Bible is our binocular. It's the key that opens our vision, our hearts, and our understanding to see beyond our naked human visual limitations, our flesh. Yet we have to value the key enough to get out the binocular that will enable us to see the dastardly deceptions ahead that are waiting to destroy the unwary. And that's where we are. It was a night to remember, said Walter Lord, in his 1955 classic account of the final hours of the Titanic, but it is an event to be remembered. 
profoundly remembered because it is what you might say an ultimate parable for life and eternity. So, how valuable do you see the Bible, the Word of God, being in your life? Do you take God at His Word, or do you just have your Bible? Do you even take it when you go to worship anymore? Oh, you say, I don't need it. Oh, really? All you need is a screen, really? So all you need, then, is to have the key to the Titanic. All they really needed to have was a picture of it, right? That would have been adequate. We've allowed technology to replace the actual word of God. In many respects, pastor and people, parachurch leaders, are co-conspirators in replacing the simple word of God with technological uh, counterfeits, so to speak. It's a sleight of hand. Every morning I look forward to putting that written word in my hands. I don't worship that Bible, not the book itself. It is what's in it. I want to hold it in my hands. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to input those words into my mind, my heart, my life. I want to massage it. I want to meditate on it day and night. And then I want to do what it says and ask the Lord to convict me if I'm not. Don't you think that we're desperate right now for the key? I'm going to offer you a helpful key when we get back. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. She was an eyewitness to history. Her name was Elizabeth Schutz, age 40 was governess to a 19-year-old Margaret Graham who was traveling with her parents. They were sitting in the first-class cabin 
when they felt a shudder travel through the ship. At first, she was comforted by her belief in the safety of the ship. But then her composure began to be shattered by the realization of the imminent tragedy. She said, a shiver ran under me. But she said, no confusion, no noise of any kind. One could believe no danger imminent. An officer's cap passed by the door, she said, and I asked, is there any accident or danger of any kind? And he responded, none so far as I know, was his courteous answer. Yet the same officer then entered a cabin a little distance down the companionway, and by this time, distrustful of everything, Elizabeth Schutz listened intently and distinctly heard the very same officer say, we can keep the water out for a while. She said it was not until then that I realized the horror. Now it was too late to even get dressed. You see, what happened there is there was deception all the way around. This famous captain, this was his final voyage, and he was going to prove something. Even though he had been warned that there were icebergs all over the place, very dangerous, he cranked up the speed, and he led the people to believe that this was a great thing. After all, we're America. Just spend more money. Who cares about the national debt? But even the officer deceived the passenger, letting her believe that everything was wonderful and everything was cool. Don't worry. We'll be fine. This is America. This is the Titanic. But then she realized he wasn't telling her the truth like so many pastors across America today. Deceiving the people. Trying to make them feel comfortable as the ship of state on which they are relying is lurching precipitously and maybe having hit the iceberg that they're not yet aware of. Not preparing the people, knowing, seeing that these are the very times that the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and Jesus himself warned of. The perilous times. Spiritual icebergs everywhere. It's full speed ahead. Oh, don't worry about that. How many pastors are telling their people, oh, you don't have to be concerned about that. We're out of here. What arrogance, what chutzpah, when they have not a single biblical verse to authenticate their deception. They may want to believe it, but to preach it as gospel? No. That's like telling the people the Titanic is unsinkable. 
How many times have I had some of the key leaders in the prophetic world on this program over the past 26 years, people who believed in the pre-trib rapture and taught it, and I've asked them openly on this program, do you know of, are you aware of any single passage of Scripture that authenticates a pre-tribulation rapture? And every single one of them has admitted no. So I asked them, I said, well, why then do you teach and preach it as absolute? And their answer, I just believe it. In other words, we want to believe what we want to believe. They wanted to believe the Titanic was unsinkable, and so it must be unsinkable because I believe that it's unsinkable. Really? Do you believe that in America we can continue to thumb our noses at the God who made and preserved us a nation, that we can completely abandon the fear of the Lord in the land, which God says is the very foundation of every one of his promises? Do you think we can continue to do that and thumb our noses in his face and still not spring a leak that God would allow to sink this ship of state? Do you really think that we're that different? Yes, we've been an exceptionalist nation because we honored God. But we're not honoring him anymore. We're operating deceptively, aren't we? In a massive way. And that's why I wrote the book, Seduction of the Saints. How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. Many have bought this book and have said, you know what? This is probably one of the most important books I have ever read. One said the most important other than the Bible. Why? Because it applies the scriptures in ways that are true. They're not deceptive. They're true. And helps us to avoid the shoals, the icebergs ahead. It's so many are going to hit as they apostatize for the faith in one way or another. Believing falsely in overly encouraging messages that don't tell the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. Friends, it's time for us to take seriously this metaphor, this parable, it's time for us to realize that things are not going along business as usual, that this is, the we're in the moment of truth and the valley of decision as a country, as Christians, and we must, must, must have our loins girt about with truth. We must, must, must begin to take seriously the word of God as the ultimate key. Why do you think the Green family had to take billions of dollars to put the Bible in a museum in Washington, D.C. a few years ago? Why do you think they had to do that? 
because the Bible has fallen on short shrift in our country, friends. Its authority has fallen on short shrift and had to be put in a museum. Just like the elusive key for the Titanic. Pastor and people, presidents, potentates, the poor are all on board man's prideful ship, churning headlong into the darkness of deception. Never in human history have the forces of deception combined with the devil's demonic host into such a formidable agent of destruction to lead us into perdition. And the great warnings to you and to me from our Lord himself and from his disciples, the telegraph warnings are principally to the church, to those who profess to be followers of Christ, but most will not heed the warnings. The Apostle Paul warned that they will be gripped by strong delusion, that they will believe a lie. Some pastors, through proud and neglectful delay, will, like the captor of the Titanic in the last desperate moment, cry, Turn! 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 But it will be too late. And they will win silently in eternal remorse. Dearest God, impossible. Most will simply plunge blindly ahead, deceptively convinced of the unsinkability of their ship, in which they have idolatrously placed their trust. Hordes will trust the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, for a last great fling on the Titanic of Earth, spurring, spurning the hope and direction promised by Christ, the captain of their salvation, and his seemingly insignificant key. The carnage will be dreadful, absolutely dreadful. Don't let it happen to you. Now, the book Seduction of the Saints, Staying Pure in a World of Deception, is an effort to take the binocular of God's Word out so as to give us more distant and distinct view of the deception now surrounding us and the profound danger that lies ahead if we do not make timely course correction. Destiny will be determined by the value that you and I place upon God's key. Remember, the Titanic is a metaphor for life. In a sense, we're all on the Titanic together, aren't we? I want to urge you to get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints. It's on our website, saveus.org. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's there on our website, saveus.org. It is not on Amazon. It is not on Amazon. It is on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we will get this life-saving book. You might even want to get a number of copies of it to give to friends and relatives. You might want to get a copy for your small group. Every chapter is followed by very probing questions to assist in applying. They're not idle questions. Seduction of the saints. You see, Jesus said that the number one characteristic of the times just before his second coming would be deception. 
He told his disciples, take heed that no man deceive you. In Matthew chapter 24, called the Olivet Discourse. Then, he didn't stop there. He was so seriously concerned about deception that he said, you know what? The time is coming when many will deceive many in the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. And then he went on and up the ante again and said, you know what? I have to tell you, putting into the vernacular, I have to tell you guys that this deception that I'm talking about is going to be so overwhelming, so great. The spirit of Antichrist is going to be so unbelievably attractive that the majority aren't going to make it, are going to fall away. He said, if it were possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. He wasn't talking about everyone who professed the name of Christ, friends. He was talking about a small remnant that would be left, who would be true believers, who truly had their lives connected with that key that seems to have eluded the grasp of most everyone. We don't know how much time we have left. Those on the Titanic had about two and a half hours. We don't know how much time we have left, whether it's two months, two years, or 22 years. But it's time to get ready. Parents, are you preparing the lifeboats for your kids, your grandkids? Just asking. Again, Seduction of the Saints, Staying Pure to a World of Deception on our website, saveus.org. Become a partner, friend, send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless. And let's get that key out and use it. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.